Listen to what Matthew 27, 34 says. It says, They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he tasted thereof, he wouldn't drink it. Okay, so, so I'm going to show you that what's not a contradiction of Scripture. I'm going to show you, listen to that. What Matthew says that, that this is when he first gets to the cross. They, uh, he, he thirsts, and they offer him something to drink. He refuses it. Mark 15 says, And they gave him to drink wine mixed with vinegar, or mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Some of the writers call it, Vinegar, some call it uh, wine, uh, because there's really probably no alcohol contents in there anymore, hardly. It's just a, a cheap wine, what they call a cheap wine that's really become vinegar in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and then in Mark 19, it says, after this, Jesus knowing, or excuse me, uh, John 19 is the really today's scripture. And uh, this is chapter uh, 19, verse 29 through 30. It says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the spot. This is later. This is, this is now, now there's some words in here that really matter. And it says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar, and they put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar... He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And so uh, we're going to look at some of this today and uh, uh, see what... Uh, 28 is the real verse we're going to hone into. Before that account, it says, and after this, Jesus, Jesus knowing that all things were now fulfilled. That's a key word to why he receives this now. Jesus knowing that all things are now accomplished or fulfilled, that the scripture may be fulfilled. He said, now I thirst. And so let's look at this here in the Word of God. Let me pray and we'll dive into the Scriptures. Father, we love you so much this morning, God. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just uh, speak to us this morning. Thank you for the wonderful... Wonderful drama, God, uh, that just was amazing, God, uh, and Lord, just going to go with this message, God, about no more shackles, God. We're free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And God, these statements on this cross were not random thoughts. They were not random statements. They were out of the heart of God. And Lord, uh, your son spoke them, and uh, there's so much in these seven statements that he knew as he fulfilled the covenant that was uh, established uh, and, and, and thought out before the foundation of the world. God, so much was going on on this tree, and God, in this grave, and when he rose from the grave, that it's so powerful that when you get a revelation of this, God, it just causes us to never be the same again. And so, Father, just speak to us today. Speak to our hearts and change our lives through your precious word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Another scripture before we start is Isaiah 42.6 that we'll come back and kind of reference just kind of to get these all in your head about this statement. He says in the Isaiah 42.6, he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you. That, that, this is covenant, folks. This is what the Father's telling the Son. If you go and do your part, 
Here's what I'll do for you. I, I, will, I, I have called you in righteousness and I will hold your hand. I'm going to hold your hand all the way through. You do your part of the covenant. I will be with you. I'll never turn my face last week. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I'll never turn my face from you. I'll, 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 I'll be with you. I'll hold your hand through the whole thing and will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. And so, so, so we're looking today at this last, or, or this uh, next to the last, uh, to the next to the last statement. But reason I say that almost the next to the last statement, really before he dies, because uh, we've come to all these statements in which he's doing something, and now he's ready to yield the ghost up. Something's, uh, he's fulfilling everything from the heart of God, and now he's about to do something. And so Jesus makes this. We know the first thing he said was, uh, Father, forgive them. He was establishing forgiveness upon that cross for us, eternal forgiveness, not just a one-time forgiveness. He was establishing ultimate forgiveness on that cross when he said he was looking all the way and reaching back all the way to the original sin with Adam in the garden. He was dealing with that sin. He was wanting the Father. He was wanting to pay the price for that sin, for that sin to be forgiven, and every subsequent sin since then to be forgiven. And then the next week we saw that the two thieves are talking on the cross, and one of them says, hey, now that uh, he's starting to catch a glimpse of what's going on, now that, uh, that, that forgiveness is established, uh, now will you reconcile me to the Father? Uh, when you go into your kingdom, will you, will you remember me? And he says, immediately, today you'll be with me in paradise. We said that word paradise is the literally the word Eden. It's a garden. You'll be back with me and my father in right relationship. You can have relationship now that forgiveness has been established in the covenant. Now you can have relationship with God. And then we saw the next statement. He comes, woman, behold thy, thy son, son, behold thy mother. Now he is uh, going back and crushing the head uh, through the seed of the woman. And he is establishing the family of God back in paradise, back in Eden. We can now have a right relationship with God. He's establishing his family in the earth. We can cry out, Abba, Father, uh, because he is our Father. And then last week we saw, my God, my God, he begins to, the darkness comes on the earth. He's quoted those first three, they're about us. Darkness comes up on the earth. This man's different. Something's going on. And then he emerges out of that darkness with these last four and all four, Margaret, come out of the scripture. All the four come out of the, of the word of God. He's pointing us back to the book and saying, hey, this is all in the pages of the scriptures. You need to, if you want to know what's going on and what's taking place here, I'm going to point you back to what my father is doing. And we looked how redemption is taking place and how they would have, they would have known what's going on in Psalms 22 and these other places that uh, what's happening on that cross as he, 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 he yells out, Father, forgive him. He's pointing him back there. You follow out that psalm and you begin to see Angie that, hey, his father did not. In fact, he goes on down and says, I will not turn my back on you. I will not turn my face from you. I will. You do your part. You do what you're supposed to do. We established this from the foundation of the, from before the foundation of the world. You've done everything according to the plan. How can I turn my back on you? And then we know Jesus looks to Peter and says, hey, I'm not turning my back on you either, Peter. You know, uh, even in your moment of failure. And so we see he's establishing these things. And today we see that after that, my God, 
my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cries out something that's from the heart of God too. And it's, I thirst. I thirst. I thirst. And when you first look at this statement, a lot of times people are only thinking in the natural. And there is a natural connotation to it because he probably has had nothing to drink since the Last Supper. We see nothing recorded in the scripture where Jesus, the last place we know is he is drinking and eating with the disciples Passover. And then we know they come at midnight or they, go, they leave there. They go down to the Kedron Valley. Uh, they come up out of the Kidron Valley and they go into a garden that's very uh, familiar to him and his disciples and there he prays and he prays that night great droplets of blood and we know that about midnight or a little bit before he goes deeper into the garden and that's where they come and they arrest him. We, we don't know did he ever have anything to drink we don't know, but the fact is, we know they didn't cater to him. We know from the moment they arrest him, they're pummeling him. They're putting a crown of thorns on his head. They're putting clothes on his back. They're saying, all hell, king of the Jews, and all this great stuff. So I doubt they're saying, sir, are you thirsty? Would you Are you parched? Would you like something to drink? And so here, the Son of God it could, is literally on this cross. And at this point in the scripture, if we take a look at it from the natural, we know that um, uh, that he is thirsty. We know that he is he is dehydrated. Amber, we know that just in the physical and the natural, it, that to be hit with uh, whips on your back, thirty nine lashes on your back. We know that for the blood and the loss of fluids, that this man is dehydrated by the time he comes to the cross and comes to this place. Listen to what Psalm sixty nine twenty one says, because he's literally quoting this psalm right here. And it says this, they gave me also gall for my meat. Now remember, he's pointing us back to the scriptures. He's wanting us to see something here in this statement. He's wanting us to find out what is the thirst of God. What is he thirsty for? What is going on? What is he telling us in this statement? Because there's more here. And so we know he's, he's taking us immediately. Again, these scholars and these people of the law say, wait a minute. Psalm 69 is there. And uh, they know this verse. They gave me also gall for meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. That's what's taking place on the cross. That's it. This is written tons of years. This is there. It's, it's recorded there. And Jesus is pointing us back to the scriptures and saying, again, this is what is taking place here. And he's describing to us what's in the cup there, what, what's about to be offered to him in this place. And so he cries out, I thirst. And out of all the things he could have said in seven statements on the cross, why this one? Why I thirst? Why is he making this statement. What does that have to do with us? Jesus is on the way to, to, the, to Golgotha. He comes to the place of the skull. He comes to this place and when he's there, he's thirsty. They offer him a drink of vinegar and wine, the Bible says, but he refuses it. Why would he refuse it? He refuses it in Matthew 27. He refuses it in Mark 15. But at a certain time in John, they take this hyssop. They 
dip this sponge and they put it up to the Savior's lips, the Bible says, and it has a whole different response here of what it says that he does this time that it's put up to his lips. On the cross, he says, I thirst. And then they give him a sponge that is filled with gall and filled with vinegar. Now, to understand this scripture of what that really means, the Romans, what they did was they took a, they often took uh, and, and concocted this from uh, the hemlock plant. They took what was called the hemlock plant. It's still known in Israel today. Animals won't go near this plant. And what they would do was if you take literally as few as six leaves and you were to take and ingest as few as six leaves or crush it up and from six leaves make this uh, uh, drink out of it, you would die. That, that's how poisonous this plant. Animals won't even eat the leaves of it. But the Romans determined and figured out, Joe, that they could take about three leaves and they could crush these leaves. And when they crushed these leaves, they could extract just a little bit of the poison out of there. And they would use it and intermingle it with this. And, and with the hemlock plant they would take there, it would, uh, it would cause the poison. It would cause them to relax. Uh, they also had uh, mixed in myrrh with it. And the myrrh offered a bad taste to it. And, and it also was acted like a sedative. So there was one positive out of it is, is it could kind of act as a sedative uh, and help somewhat a little bit with the pain. But the bad part was the poison in there would cause a person to be asphyxiated and, and for their lungs to literally, when they try to breathe, it would cause their, uh, uh, them not to have air, good air. And when you're on the cross, you're already suffocating and dying. So the Romans had it down to a science that if we don't want this guy to hang on a cross for 10 hours and we don't want to be here, I want to get home uh, to my wife or whatever. They had ways that they could speed it up. They had ways that they could cause this person to be asphyxiated, cause them to go to death quicker, and, or they could cause them to be prolonged and suffer even greater. And, and so sometimes this would relax you. And because it relaxed you, you couldn't pitch up on the cross, you couldn't catch breaths, and you would die quicker. And so, so that's what we're dealing Dealing with here in the in the natural in the in the scriptures, I could take you to a lot of places where the hemlock plant is, is is talks about when you when you drink this in and when you partake of this and you're a di- that 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 you're really it's mixed with uh, bad deeds and unrighteousness. That's what that's what we're dealing with here. It, it's it's it, it's mixed with and so it that's the natural. But in the spiritual, I want to show you what I believe. This I thirst really means and 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 so it, it has everything to do you're going to find out with righteousness and it has everything to do with our ticket back into the presence of God it has everything to do with our righteousness and it has everything to do with our ticket back in the presence of God we said number one he's asked God the father to forgive him number two he's asked that we be reconciled to him and he's, he's established forgiveness he's established reconciliation he has established back the family of God. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And now, what does he have to do lastly before he yields up the ghost? He has got to deal with the unrighteousness that mankind has dealt, has, 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 has caused all the way back into the garden. Because what, what is the deal? You, the, God is holy. God is holy, Mark. And no 
thing unholy can stay or go into or remain in the presence of God. So how does he fix this problem for mankind? Ever since the garden, we said, go to that next slide. Ever since the garden, we know what happened. We said, God is there in the heaven. We said, God planted man and, uh, and, and uh, uh, woman in, into a garden where they dwelled in, in his presence there, the Bible tells us. And that's exactly what happened. And, and, and nobody gets into the presence of God uh, without being holy or righteous without without being righteous you cannot stay in that place and so Genesis 2 15 told us this about the garden and the Lord God took the man put him into the garden to dress it and to keep it now that's a really strange words that God uses there to dress and to keep it and those words literally in Hebrew mean this to dress it means to maintain it and to keep it means to fight for it and to guard it It's like an army fighting for what is there. It's like God has established his word there. And it's like an army that is now to stand on guard and to fight for what is there. And it's really strange that God would tell Adam to keep the garden because there's no enemies there, right? What are you going to keep? What are you keeping? What are you guarding if there's no enemies there? But we little did Adam know that he was going to be tempted. And we don't know how long that temptation lasted, but, but, but we do know that temptation came. And we do know that the woman was tempted. We do know that the man was tempted. And for a period of time, they were tempted. And their faith was began to become, become chipped away at uh, until it was filled. And their hearts and minds began to be filled with unbelief and get to a place where they succumb to the temptation. So that's what they're supposed to be guarding the Word of God from. Temptation. Temptation to advocate it. Temptation not to believe it. Temptation to go outside of it and begin to reason within themselves. And so all of a sudden they were told, you need to keep it, you need to guard it, but they let their guard down. The temptation wore them down unto a place where finally Adam sinned, Adam broke the the righteous standard of God. That's the righteous standard of God that, that, that we have to have to stay in the presence of God. That's the righteous standard of God that you have to have to be in relationship and to be where God is. And back, Adam breaks this and, and, and there was this battle that took place in that garden. Adam took the fruit. The enemy wore him down. The enemy tricked him. And then the Bible says it worked on his faith. It moved into a place of unbelief. It It moved him to a place of disobedience. He partook of that which was forbidden, which resulted in sin. And then the Bible says sin produced death in the next slide, or that slide. Sin produced death, the Bible says. And and, and we can't go back and undo this or fix this because we have a problem with all of us. We are all sinners. We're all sinners. And now we're all unrighteous. And our righteousness is what? As of filthy rags. So, so here we are, and, and we've got this dilemma, and, and, and God has always wanted to rectify these things. God is good. And it's always been in the heart of God. Hey, He comes, He creates the world. He comes to the place, the world, uh, the, when He was about to put man there, what does it say? The earth was void and full of darkness. 
And so God says, I don't like this. I'm going to rectify this. So he speaks the word of God and he says, let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. God rectifies that problem. God is constantly rectifying. God says man's going to sin. God, so we read last week, before the foundation of the world, he, he decided that he's going to come and shed his blood. He's going to be the spotless, perfect lamb of God. He's going to give himself as a ransom. And so we know that he rectified that. He wanted to rectify that from before the, we ever were thought of. He's rectified or ever thought about being coming into being. He is rectifying. He is setting that into order. And he is setting his face like Flint Peter because he won't be deterred from that mission. He won't be deterred from becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, of the world. He won't be deterred. And so, so he has set his face like flint. And that's where the next slide comes in. That sin produced by death. And he says, but I will destroy that on the cross. I will destroy it on the cross. I will destroy death and sin by the power of the cross. And so what the de- that's why the devil fights against these messages. That's why messages like this, he doesn't want preached in churches today. He just wants self-help. He just wants all kind of other garbage and he doesn't want us to preach on the blood he doesn't want us to preach on sin he doesn't want us to preach on the cross he doesn't want us to preach on these things because he knows he can keep us in condemnation he knows he can keep us picking up those those signs and those things and walking around with our with baggage and garbage all over us and he knows if you come to the cross that at the cross death and sin and the power of sin and strongholds are broken And so he comes to the cross. He fights against this. Christ fights against it. The devil's trying to fight so we continue to stay in a certain state. And at this cross, Christ removes the power. And look at the next slide. And he does something very interesting. Because before he goes to death and sin there, there's another man in another garden. Fighting. For the righteousness of men. Fighting for the righteousness of God. A battle of wills, so to say. This man chose his own will. Now there's a battle of wills. My will or God's will going on in a second garden for the righteous act of God that has taken place. There's a thirst in the heart of God, an ardent thirst in the heart of God to get this back, to get man back into the presence of God. It's been there since the beginning. It's a deep thirst within God's heart. It's there. It's been there. And so God has this going on here. There's this thirst created in his son that is taking place in the garden because the son wants to do the will of the father he wants to come and do exactly what has been planned from the from the foundation of the world so there is this battle going on in this second garden in the place called the olive press in the place where the son of God is in this place and God said to Adam keep this keep this and fight for it fight for the word that I gave you don't eat of this or it will become 
become disobedience and unrighteousness and you will die. This is a precious words that God has spoken and you got to fight for them. You got to fight to keep it. And so instead of holding on to the word of God, instead of fighting for it, Adam eats, the Bible says, but we have a second Adam that has now come and he has a different outlook. He has a different will. He has a different fortitude. He is, he is come and the Bible says in Psalm 40 something about this Adam. It says that it is written in the volume of the book, Lo, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, yea, your law is written in my heart. So this second Adam has a whole different outlook on God's word, on keeping it, on tending it, on fulfilling it. And, and, and so he is here in this garden, and at a certain point we see the, the intensity of this battle that is taking place for the soul of mankind. And we see these drops of blood, sweat turning into drops of blood and coming down. The disciples are asleep, and all of a sudden he's in this garden, the second garden, and he cries out, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he's fighting for righteousness. Righteousness so you can get back in and stay in the presence of God. And he wasn't going to let the promise that God had given him slip. He wasn't going to let the promise given him uh, the, the slip away. Jesus laid hold of, of, of this book all the way through to the cross. And that's why Gethsemane, the second garden, is so vital. It's so important because the battle to keep the will of God was won in this garden. It was lost in that garden. It was won right here in this garden. So let's go back to the drink real quick before we end this uh, and come to a close. If it is possible, he cries out in that garden, let this cup pass for me uh, and then let it pass, but not my will be done, let thy will be done. He says, I'm going to drink that cup because that cup is going to mean death. Now, this just exploded into me and I don't know why it didn't know this before but Jesus is a righteous man and brother Barry you'll know this because I know what you stand for and what you preach a righteous man can't die there's no provision in the word of God for a righteous man because a righteous man can't die if Adam had never eaten of that other tree Adam would still be alive to this day. Okay? Because he would be eating of the tree of life and he would just continue to live. Adam disobeys. He eats that fruit. He dies. Jesus, this really just says, I, I don't die. I lay my own life down. Why? A righteous man can't die. Jesus has never sinned. If Jesus continues going on, I, that just like blew my mind like fireworks going off in my head. That this man, unless something happens, he, he's going to keep on living and living and living and living because he's a righteous man. There's no provision for a righteous man to die. He's going to live forever because he is. But something's happening. He's thirsting. Something is happening. This represents, the Bible tells us so clearly in Amos. If you don't believe it, look at Amos 6. 
6.12, it says something about this hemlock plant. It says something about this myrrh. It says something about the gall. It tells us something about what he's going to drink in and taste for us and what's in the cup that he's going to drink in order that he can lay his life down, deal with the death of mankind, and raise his life back up again. And listen to what it says. For you have turned judgment into gall and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock. That, that's the cup he's going to be given it, with the drink of the sponge. It's this mixture. It, it's a mixture all throughout the Bible. It's, it's, it's understanding that the contents of it is physical. It's a hemlock plant, but, but it represents gall. It represents bitterness. It represents unrighteousness that produces death. That's what's in the cup, folks. It, it's symbolic of I'm going to drink that which produces says death in mankind so that mankind I'm going to taste death for them so that they can taste life amen and as a righteous man he can't die but he will drink the cup which represents unrighteousness and wrong judgment and sin it represents the fact that he has to die so he's walking up to the cross he's walking to the place of the cross they offer him this mixture he will not drink it because the time was not right he had not fulfilled everything from the father he still got to cry out father forgive them he still got to cry out today you will be with me in paradise he still got to cry out my god my god my why has thou forsaken me and established these things? He's still got to say, woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And he's still got to cry out for the thirst of God to be established for our righteousness. And then at a certain point, he's going to take the cup that will produce death. And he's going to drink the cup. John nineteen twenty eight. He had spoken to his mother, my God, my God. And after this, look at verse 28. Jesus, knowing all things, were now accomplished. And that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. And the moment that he drinks this and accepts this means that he is going to die. That's why he doesn't take it at first. The moment this touches his lips, it is symbolic of the fact that I am now drinking the unrighteous cup that I'm now ready to lay down my life. Everything the Father has asked me to do, I have now done. I am going to drink the dregs of sin for mankind and humanity. I'm going to lay down my life and you're going to in the next couple of weeks, it is finished. Yeah. It's done. The covenant, the agreement, man's sin problem, man's locked outside of the garden, man's not being able to live in the presence of God, man being unholy and not being able to be righteous in, in fellowship with God. It is finished. And so a righteous man 
is now who can't die now is dying for the sins of the world from from the first sin of Adam to every unrighteous deed he is taking in and becoming a, a, a sin so that we can become and made into the righteousness of God now Jesus is on the cross everything has been fulfilled he has done the will of God and it's time for him to do the last act I lay down my life he drinks what represents all that is ungodly and Jesus would drink and then he yields up his life and that's why he cries out I thirst because he's thirsting to establish righteousness he tastes death so that now when we receive him into our lives we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. He establishes something that would fight against everything the devil had done in this world. And it's called the righteousness of God. And the Lord called you in righteousness, he said in Isaiah 42, 6. And God has this zeal in his heart for this. He has this hunger in his heart for this. He has this thirst in his heart ever since man has fallen and before man fell to establish righteousness in his people again. And his righteousness is the very thing that a allows us to go forward in this life and we are insulated in the righteousness of God. That's why we can live in a perverted sick world because, and still be righteous because he has covered us in his righteousness. He has filled us with his righteousness. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Amen. You're filled. And so the next slide the righteousness of God abides because he took the unrighteousness that, represented, that was represented in the cup. He dies for you and me. And everything from that first statement on the cross, Father, forgive them. Remember, remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Remember this thief. Family. Let the family of God be established again in the garden. I thirst. My God, my God, never forsake me. And he said, I won't. Read Psalms 22, I won't. And, and, then, and, then, and then he's here, I thirst. And, and, and all of that now has come down to mankind again. And when he, when he says that to the thief on the cross, it's coming from here, going on to there, and being done back in here. We, all of it's being reestablished and taken care of. Everything from the first statement, from the first transgression, from the forgiveness, to the thief on the cross back in paradise, to the family of God reestablished. Those are all packaged in the new covenant covenant and are now available for mankind and come down to you and me. Amen. Man, I thought Biscuit was about to run the aisle. And so now all these things from statement one to statement five are given to us as gifts. Forgiveness, reconciliation, family, all these things, righteousness, all given through Christ. 
by faith for the asking, for the taking, a free gift of God. And listen to what Romans 4.23 says. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up for our offenses and was raised up again for our justification. It was imputed. He took our unrighteousness and our sin that was imputed to him and he now his righteousness was imputed to you not you doing a thing it's simply the gift of God is simply received by faith listen to what Romans 5 19 says for as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall be many be made righteous that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus comes into your life, he brings his righteousness into you and, 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 and our righteousness is exchanged to him. He takes away the unrighteousness and, and, and that's why Matthew 5 20 tells you, and you ought to take this to the bank, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not inherit the kingdom of God. You better go through His righteousness. 1 Corinthians 5.21, and I'm about to close. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in Him. He established it here on this cross. And as the world gets worse and worse and worse, one thing never changes. God's desire to take the guy that failed in the garden, insulate him from every attack of the enemy, and make him righteous has never changed. God, if God be for you, who can be against you? And I'm going to tell you something. You're insulated from the effects of the world. And that's why you can wake up every day and say, I'm covered. Listen to what Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Did I put that on there? Here, here, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like in its completed form. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And he and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in the fine linen. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. I'm so glad, James, when I get to heaven. I'm not going to look over at you or, or you at me and say, Looks like you got a spot on your garment. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen. We are clothed in the righteousness of the of the of Jesus. We're clothed in the in the in the the perfect righteous garment of the Father. Uh, he puts his robe upon us, a new robe, folks, and it is completely completely clean. And when Jesus rose, the righteousness of God is available to all who believes. And so we're here today, and somebody may be here, and the devil may be surrounding you, and 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 you. He may be telling you like he told me before I was saved. He may be telling you, hey, you're a dog. Hey, you're sick. Hey, you're perverted. 
Hey, look at you. You're spotted. You're soiled. You're filthy. Look at you, my friend. Look where you went last night. Look at the things you've done. And here's the beautiful part about that statement on the cross and what was made available to, to us then is that in that moment of time, we can slip our hand up. We can receive Jesus into our life. And the moment that we do that, God surrounds you with his righteousness. Just like the prodigal coming home and running to him, putting a new robe upon him, putting sandals on his feet, putting a ring upon his finger, inviting to him into the house, killing the fatted calf, rejoicing because my son who was dead has now come home and he's alive. Amen? And then the beautiful part about that, and I'm not trying to make it licentious and easy grace because if you really know him, you won't fall into that category. But here's what is so beautiful about this righteousness is now a righteous man falls seven times, but he can get up because he's not getting up in his strength. He's getting up in God's strength now. And not only does righteousness produce in you cleanness, but it produces in you life and power and, and, and authority and strength to get up and go in the name of God and to Stay unblemished and unspotted from the things of the world. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when you cried out, I thirst. I thirst. We thank you that, that, that it, was a, it, was, it took us back to scriptures. It shows us the, the ardent thirst of God for mankind who is unrighteous. To receive the righteousness of God and to be made clean. One final act before Jesus yields up the ghost and the second Adam makes a way permanently for us to stay in the presence of God by, 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 by insulating us and filling us and, 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 and protecting us with His perfect righteousness. Imputing He who, who, who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God, now there's millions upon millions upon millions upon millions. God, I had a cousin die last night. A preacher, precious man. God, slipped out unexpectedly into eternity. But God, one that had the righteousness of God on him. One that, was, that, that exchanged his filthiness for your righteousness, God. One that I know His humanity. Yeah, God, you old things did pass away. He lived not by, by His own flesh, but He lived by faith in the Son of God. And Lord, you transformed and He walked in the Spirit in a new life. However, there were times He stumbled and there were times He fell. But God, you, you, you had Him covered in your righteousness, God. And He got up in your strength and in your power and He ran the race to completion. And God, I, I have no doubt because of the blood of the Son of Jesus Christ, He entered the kingdom of heaven. He, he is there just as sure as we are standing here today. And God, I'm so grateful for the thirst that was in the heart of God that was there that so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord now can and will be saved. And I'm so grateful for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, there, that, Lord, that, that you don't condemn us any longer, but that you come to save the world. And so, Father, if there's one here that is not God living in the complete righteousness of Jesus Christ, 
God, if there's one that the enemy and the adversary is still coming and just berating them constantly, God, with, with, with past sins, just like the drama mentioned here, God, where they go back and pick up those things that were already forgiven, God, that they would once and for all, they would leave that behind and enter in to the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.